You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. We ended our All In series, and we're starting our new series called Dreamer, or is it Dreamers? Is there an S on the back end? No? Just good. Nailed it. Uh, <laughs> I love, our, I love the people that did all this creative team stuff. It was pretty epic. They're all so talented, and I, I just love it. It's so cool what God's doing um, through that. But we're starting a new series called Dreamer and talking about what it is to dream. And I'm just believing that as we go into this series, God is going to ignite a dream in your heart. Or maybe he's going to wake a dream back up in your heart. And so we're talking um, this month about, about what it means to be a dreamer. And so we've talked, if you've been with us over the past couple months, we talked about Jonah, and we talked about this idea of purpose, and where is your purpose found? And we talked about the presence of God, right? We talked about getting into the presence of God, and then uh, we, we jumped from, from this idea of purpose and being in the presence of God and what that really means. Then we went into our all-in series with our mission initiative and talked about how are we as a church. So we talked individually our purpose and individually getting into the presence of God and, and seeking and pursuing him. And then we kind of moved again in our all-in series to being about as a church, how do we establish our purpose and our identity? And that's why we had Vision Night, and that's why we launched the mission, Missions Initiative. So if you were at Vision Night, if you were a part of that, man, it's just cool what God has been doing, and we're believing big things. If you missed Vision Night, um, all that stuff's being put together and collected. Again, we have a small team, so it takes us a little longer, and we still want to do things with excellence, but it's being put together. Uh, we're going to put that all on the website, but we have vision cards available if you'd like just to see what are the goals this year. I'll have Katie have those in the back for you. I'm just telling her now. I'm sorry. <laughs> but those will be available in the back. But now we're in this series called Dreamer because I believe that, that there's a shift that has to occur in the church, that the dreams and the visions and, and the purpose and the mission of, of the church and in the life is not just for the chosen few, but it's for all of the believers. That God has called us all to get a dream in our heart and to ignite something and stir something and move something for his power, his glory, for his kingdom. And that you're not, you're not um, sidelined because of your life or your past or anything like that or who you think or how you value yourself. Or if you're a platform person or a, or a, you know, a dig in a trench person, whatever you are, is that I believe God wants to put a dream into your life or maybe stir up a dream that you've had. And so we're diving into this series called Dreamer. Are you with me this morning? Does that sound like a good idea? I don't know. Good. Occasionally we have a good idea. Half the people said, eh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about expositories preaching. Maybe we shouldn't open the Bible. <laughs> I'll just preach my opinions. No, I'm just joking. Um, but uh, this morning I, I was thinking about dreams or, you know, this week I was thinking about dreams. How many of you guys say you dream? How many of you dream on a regular basis? Good. Everyone should raise their hand because every person dreams. Did you know that? Every single person dreams. Uh, I, I was reading a lot of dream studies. I'm fascinated by dreams in general. When I was studying for my master's, I, I love focusing on dreams in the Bible. I think it's powerful. I think the imagery and I think what God's doing is really powerful and amazing. Um, but everybody dreams and everyone dreams about two hours a night. Now, it's remembering dreams where we have a problem. Sometimes we forget a dream, even like as we're having it, it's like leaving our mind, right? We are, we're already forgetting it. We're not retaining it. But they say that you'll dream in your whole life, about six years of your life will be spent dreaming, having dreams or, you know, I don't know, dreams during the day, dreams during night, whenever you sleep. Uh, it's interesting, men and women dream differently. 
men tend to, again, there's always an exception, so don't come up afterwards and be like, I don't dream that way. Like, okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) Men tend to dream more physically and actively. A lot more running, falling, uh, like engaging aggressively. There's more dreams like that for men. Uh, Women tend to dream more relationally, so handling more ideas like connection or rejection. And obviously, we all dream different things. There's a lot of similarities in dreams in all kinds of people. Uh, blind people dream. Uh, if, if you were born blind, there, there's um, studies that have shown that people dream based off the information that they've received. So when you dream, uh, you only dream faces that you've seen. So you don't dream of like new faces or create new faces in your dream, only what you've seen. Uh, there's some famous ideas that have come through dreams. I find this fascinating. Google was created based upon a dream that Larry Page had. Uh, the DNA double helix spiral, you know, that you see, uh, that was created based from a dream that James Watson had. The sewing machine, that was Elias' house. The periodic table of elements. I don't know who's having these dreams. It's like the, <laughs> you dream about the periodic table of elements. That's amazing. You're so much smarter than me. <laughs> that is mind-blowing. I dream of, like, running with my dog and can't find my keys. Those are, like, the in-depth <laughs> dreams that I have. These people are dreaming periodic tables and double helixes and alternate current generate. I can't even say that word. But uh, people have all kinds of dreams. Did you know people have dreams uh, often that end up coming true? Uh, Abraham Lincoln famously, famously dreamed multiple times about his assassination in depth. Uh, there was 19 confirmed dreams about the Titanic sinking. Uh, it, it, and it's always mind-blowing. My wife recently had a dream a couple months ago, and it, like, all came true. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, this is amazing. You need to start keeping track of it. Then, like, the next dream was about spiders or something. I don't know. It was like, who knows? Um, <laughs> but the, there are dreams where people dream, and they'll come true. Dreams are fascinating. You know, in the ancient Near East, they would practice um, a thing called segmented sleep, and I've actually talked to a couple people about this lately. It's interesting. Is that they would go to sleep when the sun went down because there was no electricity and there's no TV. And once there's no light, there's really only a couple things you can do. Um, <laughs> and then they would sleep for like three or four hours and they would wake up and they would do a couple things. They would worship. They would wander around the town. They would pray. They would make more children. They would do kind of like a variety of activities in this period. And a lot of dreams that we encounter in Scripture, Samuel receiving his dreams, Abraham receiving a dream, a lot of these dreams occur in the segmented sleep portion. Because did you know, when you're, does anyone know that kind of like middle, you're not quite asleep, but you're not quite awake thing, and you end up like yelling in response to your dream and scaring your spouse? You're like, we're out of peanut butter! And then she's like, oh my gosh. That's, I'm the person who gets scared in this relationship. <laughs> Man, now I'm going to be dreaming on the couch. <laughs> but, But our brain is processing at such a high rate when it comes to dreams, Uh, when it comes to the, the, because the physical stimuli is at a low, and and our mental stimuli is really, really high. So there's a lot happening when it comes to literal dreams. But we use dreams, I think, culturally in an interesting way, is that not only do we use them literally in the sense of something that occurs while you're sleeping or, or in a state of almost sleeping, but we also use it in the way of hopes and dreams, Right, when Martin Luther King Jr. says, I have a dream, he, he's not just recounting like, oh yeah, last night I was dreaming about like, you know, racial balance, right? 
So he's saying, I, I, have, I have a dream. I, I have a dream. It, it wasn't, I mean, I'm sure he dreamed about it often. I mean, I would assume because it, it hit so close to his heart. He dreamed about it often. But it was a living dream, right? It was something that, that God had sparked in his heart, that he saw inequality, that he saw his fellow man and how they were treated. And God sparked something inside of him, and it was prophetic, right? It was saying, I might be in the midst of a really dark situation and a really bad situation and a really tough time, and yet God has implanted something. He, he, he's, he's lit a fire inside of me that I have to share, and it's not just a sleeping dream. It's a living dream. Are you with me this morning? And so there's kind of both usages, right? And our language is decently limited in this way. And that one is a, a literal dream and one is a hope, hope and dream. And I think we understand that both are kind of linked. Is that often through dreams, sleeping, God will awake it or stir up hopes and dreams. Are you with me this morning? That God will give you a prophetic dream or vision for something that doesn't exist and that no one would really believe you. But he begins to light that fire, to, to light that in your heart, to stir that up in your heart. And the reason we look at Joseph is because I think Joseph so clearly illustrates both usage. He has a really uh, uh, physical and spiritual connection to the act and the art of dreaming. Uh, but he also has ups and downs and highs and lows of the journey to capture the dream that God has put into his heart. And that Joseph went from a powerful part of a family to, to sold into slavery, to doing well in slavery, to prison, to Potiphar's house, to prison again, to Pharaoh, to encountering uh, the rejection of his family, right? He's gone through all of these things. So not only does Joseph, and the reason we're going to look at Joseph in this series, Joseph doesn't just illustrate the idea of like what to do with a dream. And I have lots of stuff on that if you want to talk about literally breaking down dreams. You won't spend a ton of time on interpretation and stuff like that, but um, but he also functions in the sense of hopes and dreams, that God would burn a dream in your heart. Are you with me this morning? That no matter what situation you have faced or will face, God is going to put something, a fire inside of your heart, a dream inside of your heart. And so as we unpack this scripture, as we walk through this, we're in this series for seven weeks. We're going to be going through this because I believe so clearly that God is going to set a fire in your heart. That God is going to stir something. And my prayer is that God would not only give you dreams and visions like we believe uh, Scripture says, but that he would begin to stir up a dream and vision that he's already put there. And maybe you've let kind of die down a bit. The phrase that we've used all over and over and over and will continue to use in this series is this idea of sometimes you're given the fire, the burning fire of a dream, but it just kind of dwindles down to some coals because of how things have gone in your life. But did you know when the breath of God, breath of God, the life that comes in, when it breathes on those coals, it just wakes up that fire. And for some of you, God has given you a dream, but now maybe you just have like one little, little red coal. But when the breath of God comes and wakes it up, it's going to wake up something powerful. So that's my prayer for you. Joel uh, 2, 28 through 29, really famous uh, prophecy. It says, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on, on all people. This is in the days of the, <clears throat> in the, days of the Lord. It says, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams. It's never too late to dream. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. 
It's never too late to dream. It's never too early to dream. I'm believing that God's going to just put something special into your heart. Let's pray together this morning. God, I just rejoice that you're here with us. God, I rejoice that, that you're here in this church. And God, as we dissect, as we open up your word, I pray that our hearts would be opened. God, I pray that if there's anything this morning that would block our hearts from what you're trying to speak in, God, I pray it would just be moved away. God, as we're praying in pre-service prayer, God, that the stone would be rolled away, God, and that life would come in. God, just as Lazarus, God, that life would be spoken into even the things that we thought were dead, like Carson shared this morning, that life would be spoken into that, and that we would see it well up and come forth in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Ooh, struggling this morning. Would you open your Bibles with me to Genesis 37? The words will be on the screen. I'm going to have a, a couple pictures on the screen, so I'm probably going to have to like walk out. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but Genesis 37 is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to start in verses 1 through 4. Um, if you, do we have Bibles in the back, Kate? If you, if you would like a Bible, can you raise your hand? I think someone asked me for one earlier. Perfect. Thank you, sister. There's, if there's a couple we can bring over here, thank you. Well, Genesis 37, 1 through 4. And if you don't get there quick enough, don't worry. We'll be in Genesis for a little while. Genesis 37, 1 through 4, it says this. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. That's a lot right there. There's a lot of names, there's a lot of things. Has anyone ever jumped into the middle of a TV series? Have you ever come in to a TV series like right in the middle when someone's watching it and you're like, who are, who are these people? This happened to me. Has anyone ever watched This Is Us? Have you ever watched that show? Uh, I came into what I would deem the middle of this series, and Katie's crying. I think Jana was there. She was probably crying. Everybody's crying. And I'm like, what? who are these people? Like, because it meant nothing to me. I had no context. I wasn't like, this is bad. You know, it just had like, no, it wasn't precious to me. It wasn't life-changing. So I'm just watching it. So I'm like trying to catch up. Like, and I'm annoying uh, my wife. Like, who, who is that? Why is he angry? Wait, he was an actor? You know, like I'm asking all these questions. Like, that's his dad or that's their son? I don't understand. And so I'm ruining it for her. Like, I'm <laughs> crushing the show because nothing is worse than trying to listen to a show and listen to your obnoxious husband who's asking you questions and you're crying because there's some beautiful moment of coming together. I don't know. If you haven't watched the show, it should just be called We All Cry All the Time because that's what people do in that show all the time is they cry. There's like one beautiful happy moment. You think, hey, and then someone dies. It's like, it's like oh my gosh, this is, I have too much drama in my life to get behind this show. <laughs> um, but what, what kind of had to happen is she had to pause it, right, and say, okay, 
and sum it up to me and tell me a little bit of it. And to be honest, it was like a fire hose of information. And I got, I'm sorry, maybe 20% of it. <laughs> so, but as I watched it, I kind of understood it more. This is kind of what's happening right here for us. Unless you have been before this kind of studying some ancient Near East history, this is kind of like I just dropped you into season four, episode 10. And I'm like, isn't it impactful in your life? You're like, sure, I don't know who Zilpa is, but yeah, rock and roll, it sounds awesome. You know, like, we don't know, and so, like, we start, hype, we start getting all these theses, these ideas about who Joseph is and how he really is, and so I, what I want to do this morning is I, I just, I'm going to push pause on Joseph to catch you up. So, previously on earth, here's what's occurring, right? Here's what's happening on the earth, um, and I'm not going to go back that far. It's like day one. No. Uh, but I, I'm going to give you, because it says these are the generations of Jacob. Verse 2, these are the generations of Jacob. The previous chapter said these are the generations of Esau. And it described their children. It described what's happening. And, and I think context is key here. Because what we're jumping into in these verses is a complicated family tree. The thing that always bugged me about people who draw family trees is they draw them so nice with these lines. But look at that tree. <laughs> That's kind of more what our family trees look like. There's branches flipping everywhere. They're over here, and they're over here, they're intertwined here, and this one's broken. Like, that's what a tree looks like, right? Family trees are they're crazy. They're chaotic. Does anyone say, I have a kind of a chaotic family tree? If you were to go back long enough, you'd say, I, yeah, it's a little chaotic. Like, you don't even know. <laughs> we can't even draw it. There's not even paper. It's just that we do some red markers over here, and it just gets crazy, right? So family trees are a little messy, and so these people, they all come from one family tree. They all come from one messy, branches, broken family tree. And so we're jumping in like branch four, right? We're jumping in the middle of it because it's important, and I don't have forever to sum up all of these things. We'll get there, trust me. But jumping right into the middle. But it's a complicated, messy family tree. And so I, I have a couple images here I want to show you because I want to make sure that, that we're on it here. So here's family tree number one. This is the start. So at the top, Abram, who's eventually renamed to Abraham, big change, I know. He uh, and Sarah, who's re renamed to Sarah. Um, <laughs> Abraham is promised in Genesis 12. He's promised by God that God is going to make a great nation out of him. Right? He's promised by God. God makes a covenant with Abraham, who's at the top there. And we're kind of following their family tree. Blue are wives. The gray are um, uh, like concubines or servants given as wives. Cool? Everyone with me? So the blue, Abraham, he's given this promise to, to be the father of many nations, right? Count the stars. See that they wouldn't be abundant. He's given a covenant that, that his people will be God's people. He's, he's given this promise that he's going to have a, a mighty generation, a mighty nation to come through Sarah, but if you'll notice, there's more than just Sarah kind of stemming off, right? What happens is that Abraham gets a little impatient with the timeline of the promise. Has anyone have ever been there? He gets a little impatient with the timeline. So he tries to bypass it, right? He, he's told, stay here, do this. A Abraham goes to Egypt. And when he's in Egypt, he pretends that Sarah is actually his sister because he doesn't want to get killed, them thinking that she's his wife and they're going to take her and then he's going to die. So he's like, she's my sister. Someone almost marries her, then finds out, oh, dang, this is someone's wife. Like, I'm going to be in big trouble. 
And, and so there's this conflict that's happening. So they, so they flee, they leave, they go back to the land they're supposed to be at. He still doesn't have a son. So Sarah takes Hagar and gives Hagar to Abraham and says, here, make a baby with this one. And he does. And they make Ishmael. Then Sarah cries out to God, has promised a child, and is given a child, is Isaac. And what happens when Isaac is born is there's conflict. And so Ishmael is kicked out into the desert basically to die. But God has mercy on Hagar and Ishmael. It's actually really beautiful. It's where we get one of the descriptive titles of God in this moment. But what happens is that Ishmael and Isaac are still in conflict to this day. When you look at the Middle East, what you see, you might see these different nations, but what you really see is Ishmael and Isaac. Are you with me this morning? It's, is it messy yet? Just a little, just a little messy so far. Because you're like, you haven't seen my family. This is nothing. All right, well, we'll keep going. So Isaac is the son of the promise. God's covenant with him. God tells him to wait in the land. Again, he doesn't. He goes down to Egypt. He goes around. He's nomadic. And he pulls the same stunt that his dad's, dad does and pretends that Rebecca is his sister. Someone takes Rebecca as, <laughs> as a wife and before it's consummated realizes something's up here and decides, you've tricked me. Get out. Right? So there's some generational things happening here. So Isaac then has two sons through Rebekah, Esau and Jacob. Esau is born first, but Rebekah loves Jacob more. So Rebekah tricks Isaac, uh, or helps, sorry, Jacob trick Isaac into blessing Jacob instead of Esau to become the firstborn. So now Jacob is now the firstborn. So there's conflict there. He's stolen the inheritance, which was a lot of money. They were not poor. He stole the inheritance. He stole what was supposed to be for Esau, and he flees the land so he won't die. And he goes to his relative's land, and he finds Rachel. And you can toss up the second family tree here. It's getting crazy now. And if, if you can't see, don't worry. We're going to zoom in here in just a second. So here's Jacob and Esau. This is, it's about to give bananas, so I hope you're ready. So Jacob goes, and he falls in love with this woman named Rachel. Again, I'm just setting this up here, trying to sum up the seasons. We're in season two, <laughs> previously in Israel. Uh, we're in San Diego. And so Jacob goes, and he, and he begins working for this guy, Laban, who's a relative of his mom's, and, and he starts working uh, for him because he wants to marry Rachel. So he works seven years to get Rachel, but what happens? When he goes to get Rachel, he's actually given Leah and apparently doesn't notice until it's too late. So then he's got to work another seven years to get Rachel. So he's got two wives. Still, still complicated, still messy. He's tricked. He's given a wife who doesn't work. And so now we have this big family tree there. And if we zoom in on family tree number three, this is where it gets a little messier. We'll just zoom in on this part. Do you see all of these people? Through all of these people, that's where it gets messy. It's not a good idea if you want peace in your family to have more than one wife all in the same building. Just as like a rule of thumb. In case you were considering it, I'm going to say it's just going to create conflict. But that's okay. You'll make it. Uh, <laughs> don't take more than one wife. I just didn't want divorced people to freak out. Um, but this is where it gets messier is that Jacob loves Rachel more than he loves Leah. Leah. 
But Leah gives him sons first. And you got to understand, at the time, it's all about the firstborn, the power of the firstborn. And Jacob should know this because he's, he jumped the line to get there. And that's why there's conflict. That's why Esau wants to kill him and murder him. That's why he has to flee his own home because he jumps the line. So Leah bears him sons. And, and kind of keep these sons in mind. You'll see him up there kind of in the middle. It says Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. Right? Do you guys see those? So Leah gets jealous. Oh, no, sorry. Rachel is jealous of Leah uh, bearing him sons. So she gives her servant, you can see her in gray here, Bilhah, to Jacob. And she gives her servant in response to Jacob, and the servant bears Dan and Naphtali. So then Leah gets jealous of that. I'm like, it's just chaos here. It's like a CW show. Leah gets jealous of that, so she gives her servant Zilpah to Jacob. And Jacob, through Zilpah, has Dan and Asher, two sons. And what happens, we're just still going here. It's chaos. Is that Reuben then uh, brings some mandrakes, this plant, right, for Leah, this root for Leah. Rachel wants some, so Leah barters for some time with Jacob in response for some food, for this food. And she's like, yeah, sure, you can have it. So then Leah bears two more sons and a daughter, Issachar, Zebulun, and Dina. Do you guys see a consistent person in the problem of this family? Who is it? Who is it? It's Jacob. At some point, Jacob should have been like, yo, this is, this is crazy. Like, uh, enough. En enough of this is, this is absolutely crazy. Right? But he doesn't, and he keeps going. And so there's, there's no kids. Follow me here. There's no kids for Rachel yet. And this is important because it sets it up. Feel the chaotic tension of this family, even from a multi-thousand-year distance. So do you feel the chaotic tension of these people and what they're facing? No kids for Rachel yet, but in Genesis 30, 22, it says, Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. She's still looking for another one. But this is where Joseph comes on the scene. Do you think that there might be a little bit of dysfunction in this family? Do you think that it might be a little messy? Do you think that it might be a little crazy in that they have a history of getting a promise for God but not liking his timeline, and so they bypass the timeline of God? But let me tell you, when you try to work around God, you just end up working against God. When you try to work around the timeline, because I don't know when your dream is going to happen. I don't know when the promise in your life is going to come true. It might be tomorrow. You, you, it might be 100 years. I don't know. That's up to the Lord. I, we just face every day hoping that it comes true now, right? It's a blessing. And so there's chaos in this family. And you might say, okay, my family is still more dysfunctional than this family. My life is still more chaotic than this family. And that might be true. So I thought I would just add in a couple more things. Are you still with me this morning? This is all context. Do you guys like biblical context? Uh, I know this is a lot, but it's, it's important for us to establish. I'm going to add in um, incest, murder, and a couple other things, just to, just to really round out the chaos, is that Rachel dies giving birth to Benjamin. Genesis 35, now Benjamin is born through Rachel. It's the others. This is the last son born, and in his birth, she dies, and now Joseph and Benjamin are left with trauma, and they're left with no mom at a young age. So traumatic. So now you have chaos, you have anger, you have jealousy, and you have trauma. Reuben then, in the same chapter, 
goes in and sleeps with Jacob's wife, Bilhah, which was a bad move because Jacob finds out and removes him from the line of inheritance. Now, we don't find that out technically until later in Genesis, but he removes him from the line of the inheritance. So if you look at this, Reuben was, can you go back to the picture? Like the, the, the three, picture three. There we go. Reuben right there was the firstborn. Then, see Dina, she's down there. She was the daughter. Dina is taken and raped by a man. And Jacob, rather than defending her and taking vengeance, gives her in marriage to this man. So Simeon and Levi take it upon themselves, and I'll reserve my judgment, but they take it upon themselves to avenge Dina. So what they do is they tell the man, hey, all the men in your village have to become circumcised. Ask your neighbor what that means later. And, and once they do, then, you know, you can marry. So while they're all in the healing process and not really amped to fight, Simeon and Levi go down and kill every man in town which now removes Simeon and Levi. Now, they still live in the family, but the authority is passed down. So now Joseph, the firstborn through Rachel, becomes the firstborn. Me, Judah is really the one left in the line of the promise because the others have forsaken it. Are you with me? And so through Judah comes what's called the scepter promise. That's the promise of royalty and kingship. So David from the line of Judah, Solomon from the line of Judah, Jesus, right? The scepter promises the promise not only of kingship but of a Messiah. And then Joseph gets the birthright promise. So, so the tribes of Israel, uh, th that comes through Joseph. And eventually, when the ten tribes of Israel and uh, the other two, only two recognize David's descendants in the scepter promise, they split. And so again, all of this chaos is setting up that Joseph is not some punk seven-year-old, 10-year-old kid with an attitude. Joseph is 17. At that time, he was a man. Women at this time would have been married. He would be about to be married. He was a man. He had authority, and he had the rights of the firstborn. So Joseph isn't some punk who's bringing back a bad report because, you know, he's just like a punk little kid and he doesn't know. He's like a man. He has authority. The robe was a symbol of authority. Robes were a symbol of royalty. He had authority in his family to continue on the line. And so I say this to all set up the, the, the life of Joseph because it's important when we read about the dreams of Joseph, we understand what was happening is that it wasn't perfect. We picture the Bible is so perfect and the people so perfect, but it was absolute chaos and absolute hurt and pain and trauma and disappointment and anger and violence and murder. And God definitely convicts all of these things and calls them all to, to repent. He's, uh, so none of these things are happening I'm saying are okay. But I'm saying to set this up that what Joseph is dreaming into is not just some ideal rich kid scenario. He's dreaming into absolute dysfunction in his life. Are you with me this morning? So I'm going to push unpause. Family, that's a lot of context. That's a fire hose. But if you can get anything, I want you to look at the picture of this family and go, oh my gosh, this is not perfect. Right? Can we all do that? This is not even close to perfect. And this sets up everything for this whole series because it's important to understand this. 
Because in Genesis 35 or 37 now, 5 through 8, it says, Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, this include the brother that slept with his own mother-in-law. This includes the two brothers that killed a whole village of people, right? This includes brothers from some other mothers who literally do not like him, and he just brought a bad report about, right? Because they weren't doing their job. So when Joseph told his brothers, they hated him even more. They said to him, he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf, my, my bundle of wheat, arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gather around it and bow down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dream and for his words. Now, I, I think we would all agree maybe some wisdom given the context would have been good. If your family already hates you, don't maybe share, maybe be careful. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Use some wisdom, teenagers. <laughs> like, use some wisdom when you're 17. Don't be like, and you all bowed. You know, like maybe you're like, I'm keeping it real. It's like, no, you're just unwise, you know. <laughs> And, but there's something important that's happening here, and it's something I want to encourage you in this series, is to dream in dysfunction. It's so important. Dream in dysfunction. There's no perfect time to dream. Joseph got a dream from God. It came from God. It was by the power of God. It was from him. Should Joseph have pushed that away? Because he felt like, ah, oh, man, you don't know what my family's facing. You don't know what we're going through. We don't, have, we don't have time to dream. We're just trying to, like, not kill each other. But I want to encourage you, don't let dysfunction derail your dreams. Don't let dysfunction derail what God wants to do in your life. Because there are perfect times for dreaming. And in fact, when we look at the Bible, the perfect time for dreaming is dysfunction. Just the Old Testament, Abraham dreams in absolute depression. Jacob dreams while he's running from his life. Because he made such bad decisions, he's likely going to die now. Joseph dreamed while his family was tearing itself apart. He dreamed in prison. Daniel dreamed while he was taken away in captivity, never to see his home again. Samuel dreamed when the word of God was scarce in that land and was facing a national crisis. Dream and dysfunction. So you don't have to have it all figured out for God to ignite a dream in your heart. You don't have to have it all figured out. We just say, God, would you plant a dream in my heart? Would you ignite a dream in my heart that prophesies to a greater future than, than I'm seeing right now? That prophesies to something, something greater than I'm facing right now? See, Joseph's context was he lost his mom at a young age. His family was a mess. His father was a mess. He's given authority and power. He's hated for it. Didn't really do anything personally to deserve the hate, but he's just hated for it. He's hated for being a dreamer. He's hated for what he has. He's hated in this mode, but he's still dreaming. And I want to make a note that they didn't hate him because he was a punk. They hate him because the actions of Jacob elevated Joseph to a place of power over them. And oftentimes God will, or people will hate what God is doing in your life, not because of what he's doing in your life, but because of what's going on in their life. The people will dislike the move of God in your life because of what's going on in their life. And that's how we respond. We respond out of ourselves, out of insecurity. But I want to tell you that dysfunction does not disqualify you. 
That some of you, you walked in here this morning, and, and, and when I'm preaching on dreams, in your brain, you are already thinking of all the ways you are disqualified for this. And I believe that God is saying this morning, you're not disqualified for the dream. You're set up. You're prepared. And I know it looks like dysfunction for you, but this is when it's time to dream. National crisis. Bitter. Families falling apart. Not sure how we're going to pay the bills. Not sure what's happening. Frustrated. Bitter. Alone. Lost. Confused. That's the time time to dream. That's the time to dream for your life. It's not wait till it gets perfect and dream. And I'm not saying it's easy. Nothing about Joseph's life is easy. But I just want you to get a little freedom in your life that says, my dysfunction does not dictate my dream. When God implants a dream in my life and he ignites it in my life, sure, I might be dysfunctional, but I'm not disqualified. I'm not disqualified from what God wants to do. And even in this dysfunction, Joseph dreams some God-sized dreams. Uh, Genesis 39, or 37, 9 through 11. Let's keep going. It says, then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Second thing this morning, as we, as we look at dreaming and a dream in your life, I'm going to say this. Be bold with your dream and careful with the interpretation. Follow me here. When God gives you a dream, something that speaks to something that, that isn't quite yet, it's prophetic, it begins to burn inside of you, 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 you have to share it. Jeremiah 20, 19, or 29, I love when the prophet says, I will not mention, if I, but if I say, I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name. His word is like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. See, when God gives you something to speak into what isn't, it's like a fire. But, but have you ever had that fire and shared it with somebody and they crushed it? Have you ever had a dream in your life? Have you ever had a passion in your life? Has God ever awoken something, stirred something up, burned something inside of you, and you brought it to people, and they just smashed it? They just crushed it? They just obliterated it? Kicked some sand on it? Right? You handed this precious to someone, and they took it like an iPhone and just spiked that thing into the ground? I, I faced that. When you bring a dream to someone, and they just crush it. And so Joseph brings this dream to his brothers, and what do they do? It says they hated him. They hated him. Because people won't always see your dream like it's meant to be seen, church. People won't always see your dream like it's meant to be seen. See, you have a treasure. You can't hide it. You, you, can, you can store it. You can cherish it, but you can't put a lid on it. Because if you put a lid on a fire, it'll go out. So you can't hide it. But you got to understand that when you share your dream, it, you got to be careful with who you let interpret, decide the future of your dream. Because often how people will interpret your dream is not based on your revelation, but based off their experience. And so if you share your dream with someone who's maybe, maybe they're even afraid for you, or maybe they're dealing with past hurts, maybe they're insecure, they will crush your dream rather than add more wood to the fire. And so you got to be bold with what God's put in your heart, but you got to be careful who you hand it to. Are you with me this morning? Look at how they in interpret the first dream. Joseph said, your sheaves bowed down to my sheaf. And the brothers say, are you going to rule over us? They exploit the dream to their own narrative because they're insecure. 
And the word Joseph used for bow down, it's a sign of reverence, honor, love. When Jacob bows down before Esau to repair the relationship that he's destroyed, it's the same word used there. And yet the word they use in response is subservience. And why would they change something that's honor, love, care? It's because their own insecurity is speaking to the interpretation, right? Look at the second dream. Joseph's second dream, it says, the sun, moon, and 11 stars bow down to me. And his father goes, really? Are me and your mom, Rachel, are me and your mom and your 11 brothers, are we going to come bow down to you? And we kind of just all accept his response. I guess that's what the dream meant. But why do we entrust people to interpret what God has put in our future when we wouldn't even trust them with our car keys? Like you wouldn't trust somebody with a key to your house, but you're willing to give them authority into the dream that God's spoken into their life? Can I tell you, they were so wrong about this dream, and yet we accept it. It was physically impossible for this to come true the way they said. Rachel was dead. She couldn't come. Jacob never comes and bows. That, that never happens. And in fact, it's likely, again, I, I read a lot about this, it's likely that these stood for periods of time. So the sun, moon, and 11 stars, that's 13. It's 13 years between the time that uh, Joseph is sold into slavery and comes into authority in Potiphar's house. If you do them as multipliers, sun and moon is a passage of time as shown in Genesis, times 11, 2 times 11, 22. It's 22 years between when Joseph is sold into slavery and reunited with his family. Now, when we talk about other dreams, all that will make sense. But all I'm saying is you got to be bold with what God's given you, but you got to be careful with who you give it to. Are you with me this morning? See, it's God who decides the dream. It's God who decides the timeline. It's God who decides how it's going. It's God who decides what's going to happen. And so you got to get people around you that fuel the fire that don't kick sand on it. And I'm not saying not unwise people or people that are yes, but I'm saying his brothers had some issues and he handed him something precious and they used it to twist it and attack him. I mean, God still used it for good. But third thing this morning, we're almost done, is the fire needs fuel. I talk about this fire shut up in our bones. It's like a fire. And I just want to add this in is that it, sometimes our dreams are like a raging fire. And sometimes they're just like a little baby coal like I shared. And yet when God breathes in, when he ignites that fire, we have to fuel the fire, right? Think about Peter. He's told by Jesus, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church, right? Matthew 16. The gates of Hades will not prevail. Peter has a rough time with this idea, and really until Jesus is resurrected, never establishes, never fuels this fire or this flame. And yet then we see him in Acts 10 when he's given a vision of the gospel going to the Gentiles. Immediately he's given an opportunity to throw some wood on that fire to build it, to make it happen. See, your dreams need people who will put a log on a fire. I told someone this week, even if it's just a stick, like it's just one stick, someone could just put that on and be like, hey man, I don't got a lot to offer this dream that you got going on, but I'll at least like kick some wood chips onto it and we can get it going. Like just something. That's why we say small groups are important. Because at our small group this week, we talked about dreams and encouraged and empowered people to pursue their dreams. And sometimes because your dreams have been so beaten down and pushed down and broken, could you imagine if just one person came up and said, amen, I believe that God's going to do that. You know what that would, that means a lot to us. The last thing this morning, I'm going to the band up. It's the reason you got to fuel the fire. And the reason it's important to me is because a dream ignited by God is undeniable. A dream ignited by God is undeniable. I believe if you're going to dream, it's got to be a God dream. Life 
is already hard enough. Some people, it hits harder than others. But I think everyone, no matter how hard they're hit by life, would say it's already hard enough just in normal mode. If you go into dreamer mode, like it better be a God dream. Amen. Like, it better be from God. It better be something from the Lord, because life's already hard enough. Life already, like, finds clever ways of kicking you down. It's already hard enough. But if you get a God dream in your life, and by God dream, I mean something where the Lord has poured it in, has brought it in, has placed it in your life. If you get a God dream in your life, it's undeniable. It's undeniable. Did you know that Jesus said, we will do even greater things than he did? And who's we? It's you. Think about that. Let that blow your mind for a second. We should have just preached about that. John 14, 12. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. What's God trying to burn in your heart, stir up in your heart? Do you feel unqualified? Do you feel unprepared? Do you feel maybe you're not ready? Do you feel like there's not a place for it? It's too dysfunctional. Reconciliation in my family? That's not a dream. That's a fantasy. What is it that God's trying to stir up? Because can I tell you, if you get a God dream, if God implants that dream, if he gives it to you, if he ignites it in you, a dream from God is undeniable. It's undeniable. Even in all this dysfunction, verse 11 in, in chapter 37 says, and his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. See, even in the chaos, Jacob knew something was up. He knew. Even he was an awful dad. Even in all of that, he knew something was happening. Can I tell you, your dream, it might upset some people, but if it's a God dream, something's happening. It's his timeline, I know, and I know it's, it doesn't make life easier, but it makes it beautiful. And then when God puts a dream, when he ignites a dream in your heart, it's undeniable. I hope when you come to Banner Church, you can feel what God's doing in this church. It's always good confirmation to me when we begin to start a series that someone meets with me even before we begin the series and says, here's what God's doing. And I met with someone this week who said, man, God is just burning, igniting a dream in my life. Igniting a powerful dream. Spoke to me. Woke me. Never had this. Spoke to me. Woke me up. Ignited a dream. Can you feel what God's doing? Can you feel what God's doing? We got personal revivals happening in this church. We have family revivals happening in this church. We're far from perfect, always will be, but God is doing something. And I believe that some of you, when you came in here today, some of you have had a dream in your life, but it, because of maybe people kicking it or stomping on it or putting it down, it was like a roaring fire. Now it's just these tiny coals that live in your life, in your heart. And they're right there, and they're kind of barely holding on. Barely holding on is descriptive of your dream, of your life, everything right now, of your family. It's just right there. They're barely, barely holding on. flickering. Maybe it was a dream for a family. Maybe it was a dream for your future. Maybe God put a dream of ministry. Maybe God just put a dream of your personhood. But he put that dream, and now it's just small. But this morning, I believe that God wants to take that. By the mighty breath of God, just... He wants to awaken it, to ignite it. He wants to stir it up and say, get a dream for your life. Get a dream, a God dream for your life. Stir it up. He's saying this morning, I got a dream for your life. Open your heart. 
let me ignite it because if you get this God dream, even in your dysfunction, even though you feel disqualified, even though you feel like it's craziness right now, just like this family we just read about, I want to wake it up in your life. I want to stir it up in your life. I want to fan it into a flame in your life. In this series, I'm just believing God's going to do that. But I believe that this morning, some of you walked in with that dream, and it's just hanging on, but God wants to breathe on it. He wants to awaken it. Would you close, stand, would you stand with me this morning? Just close your eyes. Some of you got that dream in your heart, in your life. God, right now, he's stirring that up. Some of you had it. Some of you have never had it. This morning, you're just seeking, God, would you do something in my life? I don't want my my dysfunction to disqualify me. God, I I want a dream, a God-sized dream in my life for greater, for more. Pour out your spirit. Some of you, you have those coals still burning. With your eyes closed and your head bowed, I just believe some of you you had a dream. You feel like God put a dream in your life for your family. And there's, these, there's just one coal that's all you got left. It's like this last briquette of hope. And you just pray. You pray every day that doesn't go out. Right now, I believe that the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the mighty breath of God, that which breathed life to Adam, would breathe into that coal. Just, I feel it stir. Feel it awaken. You thought it was dead, you thought it was gone, but right now, the mighty breath of God just wants to breathe by the power of the Holy Spirit. With every eye closed, every head bowed, he wants to breathe into that dream, just awaken it, awaken it. Feel it stir, one flame, then another. One peak, then another. One crackle, one pop, then another. Allow him to breathe in. Allow him to breathe into your heart, into that coals. Breathe and receive it this morning. Receive it this morning. Receive it this morning. Come on, I I feel a hesitation in the hearts this morning, but I'm going to say it again. Receive it this morning. The breath of God, every eye closed, every head bowed. There's a dream in your heart that you have let die. And right now, God is coming in with his breath, and he's going... And he's blowing into your heart and he's awakening it. Don't get cynical. Don't put a block. Don't roll a stone in. Receive it this morning. The breath of God that's breathing on the coals of your life. And he's saying, ignite, dreamer. Awaken. Rise. Be restored. Be renewed. Dream in dysfunction. Dream in the trauma. Dream in the pain. Dream in the confusion. Dream in the moments where you feel lost. I'm awakening it in your heart right now with the mighty breath of God. He's saying to you, he's saying, I'm awakening it right now, that dream. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to give an opportunity right now in this moment. Every eye closed, every head bow. If you desire for God, to ignite a dream, a God-sized dream in your heart, or to wake up, to stir up the dream that's died. I'm going to give you an opportunity, just a second. I'm going to invite you to be bold and to come forward and to step out and say, God, would you stir it up in my life? And just come, this is symbolic, so symbolic move to come forward before the altar, to lay your life down and say, God, stir it up. So in just a second, one, if, if you're saying, maybe for the first time you've never surrendered your life to God, you've never given over to him, and you're saying, God, I need to see you in my life. I want to follow you. Two, 
If you have never had God really ignite a dream in your life and you just desire for your life to, to have that purpose and that drive of a God-sized dream in your life, it might be scary, but you're willing to step out and be bold. You're not a, you don't consider yourself a bold person, but this morning you say, I don't care what people around me say, I need to get a God-sized dream in my life. That's two. And finally, if you've let that dream, it feels like it's died down, but this morning you're believing that God wants to awaken it, I'm going to invite you to come right now and receive that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Three, just give a moment. If you're saying this morning, I want God to awaken a dream in my life, just come forward and stand right here. for so long that you don't even think it can be stirred up. But God, this morning, say, I'm stirring it up. I believe that there's some people this morning that God wants to stir up a dream for your family. And specifically, he's asking, will you be bold in this moment for your family and, and dream again? Can I just encourage you, dream again, dream again. I know the dream's been crushed, but dream again. Pray, stir up the fire of my heart. Stir up the fire of my heart and receive the breath of God. Receive the mighty breath of God that's going to blow by the power of the Holy Spirit. Blow into your heart and awaken the flames. Blow onto those coals and awaken the flames. Blow onto this dead dream and rise it up. Lift it up by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're in the back, would you just reach your hands out th this morning and join together with everyone in the front? And we're going to pray together this morning, and then the worship band's going to lead us. But I'm going to believe by the power of the Holy Spirit that you're going to leave changed and transformed this morning. God, he's trying to stir something up right now and just receive it. Receive it. Let's pray together. Join me. This morning, God, we pray over these lives. God, we pray over these hearts in this place. God, we pray right now that you put some dreams in their life, that you put some dreams into their heart. And God, over, over time, they've been dissolved. They, they've been kicked down. People have poured water. Our life has tried to break it. But God, right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray united as a church that you would breathe into the dead dreams, that you would breathe into the hopeless situations, that you would breathe into the things that maybe we've forgotten or left because we haven't allowed it, because things have happened, but God, right now you're coming with your fire to ignite the dream, to stir it back up, so God, stir it back up, stir it back up in this moment, stir it up, God, where there's hopelessness, there's hope, where there was loss and confusion, there's life and clarity by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're up here, just receive the breath of God. He's breathing on the coals of your life right now. Receive it. Receive it. The power of the Holy Spirit. Receive it. The power of the Holy Spirit blowing into your dreams. The power of the Holy Spirit blowing into your dreams. I'm just going to do one thing real quick. Just stay in this moment real fast. And I know, I know we're supposed to be done. We're normally pretty good, but we're also semi-Pentecostal, so welcome. <laughs> 
come on, I, I just believe. I believe that God has a dream for this church. And I know he's, that's your job to believe. No, it's not my job. It's my calling to believe. I believe this morning that there are some dreams in your heart that have been stepped on, but I believe you have not yet allowed that stone to be rolled away and the life to blow in. And right now, I believe you're not even forward. I'm not even going to look up. I'm going to look right here. You're not even forward, but I believe that God wants to blow into that dream and awaken it by the power of the Holy Spirit, that this isn't it for you. This isn't it for you. This is not the end of your story. You're not disqualified. You're right where you need to be in this morning, the mighty breath of God. So I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would feel the breath of God blow into your heart and awaken it right now. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. Feel it. It's blowing in. Feel the breath of God. It's blowing in. Come on. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. Come on, it's, there's someone, you're not there yet, but God is saying, come on, come on, open your heart. You're precious to him. Your dream is valuable to him. There it is. There's the flame. He's waking it up in your heart. He's stirring it up. Now can we join together and pray with a confidence in approaching his throne that we have a great mediator in Jesus Christ who's gone before, that we have a high priest in him. And can we pray all in this city together? Join with me and open your mouth that God will begin to awaken dreams in the city and in these people. And I'm going to pray this morning. God, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would awaken dreams in this place. God, that what has been felt like it's gone for a long time right now by the power of the Holy Spirit would breathe in by the power of the Holy Spirit would ignite, would stir, God. Not, not for any response, but because you have a dream implanted in the heart. You have a dream implanted in your people. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, awaken it, stir it. God, awaken the dream. God, ignite the dream. Stir it with your breath. Stir it with your power. By the power of the Holy Spirit, not by our might, by your might, God. Ignite the dream. Wake it up. Wake it up. Lay down. Wake it up. Wake it up. Stir it up. A mighty fire. God, we lay down past hurts right now. God, we lay down past hurts, pain, things that feel like they're holding us back. And we pray, awaken the dream. Awaken the dream. Stir it up. It's good. It's good. You can rejoice. You don't have to be afraid. You can rejoice in the dream that God is awakening in your heart. Stir it up, Holy Spirit. Stir it up by your power. Stir it up. Can we just worship him? Establish his authority.